Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And in today's episode, my guest is Daniela Fernandez, founder of the Sustainable Ocean Alliance. Daniela is an award-winning social entrepreneur, thought leader, and internationally sought-after speaker on the entrepreneurial mindset, ocean innovation, technology, youth empowerment, and sustainability. She is a World Economic Forum Global Shaper and a member of Friends of Ocean Action, a select group of leaders working to fast-track solutions to ocean challenges. She was awarded the 2020 Rising Star Visionary Award by the Silicon Valley Forum and also named a 2019 Forbes 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneur. So that's really amazing recognition for the important work she's doing and today we'll talk about the sustainable ocean alliance investing in startup solutions cultivating ideas and developing leaders so with with these words welcome daniela thank you so much julian i'm so thrilled to be a part of you know this conversation and also all the amazing followers that you have and i'm just appreciative of everyone's understanding and passion for our environment sustainability Thank you. Yeah, I think we're, we're all really eager and keen to learn and understand how to solve some of the world's challenges, right? And so um, I'm, I'm not sure if I quite have, you know, the, the world solutions in a book, um, but I, I'm, I'm so curious to hear what people are actually doing and implementing and, you know, accelerating our creative learning. Sure, no, and I think that, you know, one of the interesting aspects of the ocean space is understanding that in the past, uh, the ocean space was mainly used for, for travel, right, for trans transporting goods, um, it was used for exploitation, uh, but it wasn't necessarily thought about a place that needed to be cared for, we didn't really understand the regenerative aspects of our ocean, like how can we truly make sure it's sustainable and how can we create industries around that space. So um, it's been a very new development in the past few years, really, uh, in developing this ocean technology space and in understanding what solutions exist and what solutions are needed, because we are in a, in a place that it's ripe for disruption. Every, everything about our lives just needs to change um, in a way that is sustainable and it's in line with the values that we have for our planet. So, you know, I'm happy to go into specific solutions, but I guess I just wanted to start with, with framing how the ocean space has, has evolved over the past you know, hundreds of years and, and the way that we're looking at it, it's completely different. Yeah, I think that's super exciting because sometimes it's hard to see from our current vantage point that the, the decisions that were made in the past, this is just how they're carrying out, but sometimes certain aspects weren't even part of the decision table, right? Like, you said it, ocean, transportation, getting goods across. Um, now we're really thinking about biodiversity and who we are in the ecology of planet Earth. I don't think this has always been part of the human consciousness. And so now that we get to have this conversation, of course, there's a lot of work to do because it feels like we're, we're out of resonance or out of balance with the oceans. Is, that what, what, is that what you're seeing and, and finding? Yeah. I do. And I think that it is really our generation that has that has that mentality and that has shifted the way where we value, where we put our time, our money and our attention. Right. Um, in the past, past, you know, past generations have really valued the bottom line and, and wealth and, and personal 
development uh, without necessarily caring uh, who gets hurt, right? Who gets injured in the process. And I believe that our generation and younger generations have been born into climate change. Like we don't have to convince anyone anymore that climate change is real, that our planet needs our help. Rather, the conversation has shifted very quickly to, we know this is the reality, but what can we do to mitigate it? What can we do to, to protect it? What can we do to improve the condition? So um, I agree with you. I think that now we're seeing um, a lot more money being uh, deployed into sustainable travel, sustainable agriculture, uh, sustainable businesses. We're seeing a lot of corporations um, no longer able to greenwash their ways out of things by simply putting up a logo or a certification and saying they're sustainable because people are finally holding them accountable and asking the, the, the real questions like, how are you actually contributing to the environment in a positive way? And I also see a lot of people changing their actions, being more conscious about what they're eating, how they're eating, about their, their plastic consumption. And um, it's exciting and it's hopeful, but I do think that people need to understand that we need to act with urgency, right? There was this-, this, um, this More call. bold action, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yes to that, yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, the, there was that clock at the uh, in New York, in the New York building that it tells us that we have seven years left, right, before we're at a climate crisis. So that's, you know, we, we can't come back from. Um, and I wish that clock was just, you know, pasted in all, over, all over the world and reminding people of that every, every single day counts. Yeah, that's very true. This is the golden decade and only if we make it so. And it's, it's the decade of, you know, ecological kind of re regeneration i think is 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 the language that you know comes out of the sustainability movement really and i love the topic of the ocean because my show is called green planet blue planet so for me like clean water or the idea of water as in its most alive state is something really fascinating um tell us a little bit about the projects that you're doing that are ocean related that um you know we we can picture or maybe there's a good story to tell about some of those projects Sure. So maybe I'll start with one that um, that is close to my heart because I actually heard of them when I was just a student in, in college. Um, so there's a company called Lollyware, and what Lollyware is, they they're, they're creating straws out of seaweed um, to replace plastic creation, and their straws will last, you know, in in water for 18 hours, and then they're designed to disappear, right? So they can be turtle food or they'll just uh, disappear into, into the water streams or, you know, in, in the ocean, as opposed to harming, harming our environment uh, with pollutants. So what was an interesting story about them was that I remember seeing them on Shark Tank um, when I was a yeah. college student. And back then they had a cup. They hadn't pivoted to, to uh, straws quite yet. But I remember watching them on Shark Tank and, and they weren't getting a lot of love or attention from the investors and I just sat there feeling so frustrated at the sharks you know saying to myself if I had the money to invest in this company if I could do something to help them get to the next level get them into market I would do that um, and so I think that it's a it's a great story because now fast forward they joined our accelerator program in, in 2018 and now you know SOA has invested in wow. them really cool. <laughs> um, you know we have supported their growth we have supported um their ability to get to market, to get uh, media attention, to get more more visibility in this space. So it's it's a full circle for me in a way, right? And, and the, being able to to have them be a reason why I became passionate about this space, and then for me to be actively uh, supporting their growth and trajectory. 
it's a really great story how it you know was a part of your life already before and now they're kind of full circle integrated into what you're creating and accelerating the idea of you know seaweed that then turns literally into turtle food i think is the dinner story that i'd love ever, like the whole world to talk about you know what i mean like look like what if we created products and build out of materials that are in a synergy with life at all times in harmony with life and how how if that was the next revolution like a renaissance that humanity goes through and we um you know to redevelop our industries into into a way that i mean beyond seaweed maybe but matter of fact algae is actually very very, very versatile um <laughs> but yeah the original way to do carbon drawdown at the same kind of token right because you're suddenly um you know changing the traces of pollution that this entire planet has left so in, that's an ingenious idea how many participants are in those cohorts of accelerators so back in 2018 we had five companies and and they ranged everywhere you know i gave you the the plastic example or the plastic for example with this company another company interesting um to highlight uh they're called CalWave technologies and what they're doing is they're leveraging the the power uh, the motion of ocean waves to produce sustainable fossil free uh electricity and power um and so that is an industry itself that takes a very long time to do r d it's very capital intensive um and also they need to find the right pilot partners and so we, we've been working with them to get them set up to different for example island nations like imagine that if, if their technology can power an entire island nation and take them off the grid i mean to me that's success and to me that's something that it's so necessary and at the core of what we need in, in these industries, right? Because it's not just about um, a, a, a straw or it's not just about a material we use day to day, but it's about, you know, how we need to live and function as a society. We need electricity, right? So um, just to give you a sense of the range Absolutely, of companies. Yeah. And then the full spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then we had in uh, last year, we had uh, 15 companies during our accelerator. And this year, we just announced um, nine companies that will be joining our program uh, for the 2020 cohort. That's amazing. I, I live on an island, so I can totally see how, you know, the challenge that some places in the world will be you know, like pioneers, eco pioneers of solving some of our current issues in the way we treat nature into a synergistic way that makes the whole region thrive right because like literally if you're able to get off the grid in such a massive way that an entire island nation was um, run by the ocean's current um, yeah it's a complete different reality on that island because suddenly like there is this abundance of resource present very very exciting so maybe maybe you can you can tell us also a bit about the the controversies that might be around, you know, just like continuously trying to find economic solutions to um, to our climate. Like, I'd be super curious to hear from you about that because I I think economic solutions are so important and so vital. But there is a social and cultural change that goes hand in hand with this renaissance we just called it a little earlier. Sure. No, and I and I think that there's not one silver bullet that will help us solve all the, all the problems in our environment and in the ocean. Um, and the way I like to think about it is like a triad, right? Like we absolutely need policy to be in place to be able to support the development of these economic solutions, right? We need subsidies. We need governments to be entrepreneurship friendly, right? I, we're mm -hmm. personally working um, with governments globally to help them understand what is the ocean technology sector in the space and how can they 
support these entrepreneurs? How can they support research and development? How can they um, you know, make it more accessible for people to, to think about the ocean in different ways? So I, I do think that policy has a really important role to play. Um, the second one would be consumer adoption, right? And like you mentioned, like habit changes. If we create you know, seaweed straws and people aren't going to buy them, then that's not going to work, right? Just uh, supply and demand, the economics one-on-one, we need to make sure that people change their mindsets, their mentalities, um, and their adoption preferences to these uh, opportunities and to these alternatives, right, that we're building for them. So um, I do think that from the consumer and the cultural standpoint is very critical. And then, of course, the third one is the economic solutions, right? Um, if you don't create these new technologies and these new innovations, we're not going to have an alternative no matter what law is passed, right? If we say, we, if we say fossil fuels are banned, we need to have something to replace that with, right? We need to have an alternative because people aren't going to just uh, stop living their, their day-to-day lives, right? We need to make sure we provide some type of technology development and creation to replace what already exists. So- Absolutely, we need steps forward and suggestions and, and these, you know, like islands, like these incubators that are pioneers in what they're bringing. It's, it's so interesting to me because, you know, it's also, it's not just that we could ban, you know, the, the use of oil because we're not quite there yet. We're currently still at subsidizing it, which is, like that impetus and that unfair advantage that oil actually has across many industries needs to be removed first and foremost, I believe, you know, so that there is literally no more subsidy into that marketplace. So it's being recognized as a dying uh, industry that will be replaced eventually by, by a myriad of solutions, you know? Exactly. No, and that's right. And I do think that that's why it's important for us to have policy, we need to have, you know, economic solutions and also cultural change uh, to make anything happen. Yeah, powerful. I like that a lot. So let me ask you, like, personally, in that triad, right? So how do you find optimism for this mission again and again? And every day you're like, you know what, it actually is happening. Like, I'm, I'm driving a piece of change that is very vital and important. Personally, I, I get that energy and that hope because, you know, at SOA, we have a community of, of entrepreneurs that that I see what they're working on. I see the developments. I see the progress they're making. Um, I see the excitement in their eyes and, and, and hearing and talking about their updates that things are progressing, right? Um, so from that perspective, that gives me a lot of hope. Um, and I also have a community of young people in over 165 countries that are working on the ground on different ocean projects, right? And these are more on the cultural side of change. They are working um, in the backyard, in their own backyards, solving these local issues and hearing from them and seeing, you know, just to give you an example, one of our, our hubs um, in, in Liberia, what they're doing is they're working on and changing the entire infrastructure of their recycling system, right? And they're taking it upon themselves to do it, to, to teach little kids how to recycle, to teach their village how to recycle, which is something that needs to happen from the ground up, right? Um, I'm Absolutely. not a believer that it's just top-down decisions that are going to change the world. It has to be a little bit of both. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you took it there. You know, the, the cultural change has a lot to do with how we include and invite the younger generations because there's a lot of energy and a lot of, um, you know, maybe even idealism, but just like a very good kind of drive in all of us when we're young and, and just have this this desire to make the world a good place. Exactly, right? exactly. And and like we talked about earlier, it's 
it's no longer about having to educate or convince them about the changes that need to happen. We now need to flip that mentality and then think about empowering them and enabling them and giving them a voice and a platform, which is what SOA does. We're no longer just help, you know, um, sending them information about how bad things are in the ocean because they know we are now shifting that by giving them resources, tools, education, mentorship they need to take their own ideas and bring them to life. Talk about mindset. It's, it's literally changing that fast that the next generation doesn't need any statistic or convincing. It's more about, okay, we're actually ready for inspired action now. Um, it's changing through the, the generations. Like I love that you earlier touched on frustration a bit because that's what you know got me to start this podcast is the frustration of how few stories are actually out there about amazing research, amazing teams of you know uh, local initiatives. And the more I've been looking into this this work over the last years, it's, it's the, the planet is full of really powerful communities that are driving change that is going to have social, environmental, and ecological impacts in, in the most beautiful imaginable way. So I'm very grateful the more um, I get to see the work that's done in the world to, to you know, you really see we're, we're, just, we're just starting to seed for the future harvest, I believe, because this is an entire decade of change. And we shouldn't underestimate what we're capable to do in a decade. You know, that quote usually goes backward that we overestimate how much we can achieve in one year, but in a decade as a collective, as a big group of interconnected um, people weaving together in story and in, in in support, I think there's a lot possible. Definitely, and I, and I agree with that. I I also think that you know there's there's a lot of room for growth and improvement in in convincing you know older adults, I guess, <laughs> um, that little kids are taking upon themselves to change their parents' habits, to change their parents' way of thinking. So you see that dynamic, you know, clashing, but also you see the opportunity to. Um, not only focus on, on young people, but focus on, on adults and changing their ways of, of thinking about this. Totally. Uh, let me ask you about purpose, because that to me feels really purposeful. And so I, I always love to understand, you know, I, I talk about planetary purpose and have a few programs around that as well, because I love this idea of more people being in support of themselves and the planet. What have you found was helpful for you to be so magnetized to your purpose, to your mission, to your drive? I, for me, you know, I, I grew up in Ecuador. I grew up in a, in a beautiful country that was always surrounded by nature. I was, you know, surrounded by the Amazon rainforest and, and, and the beautiful pristine beaches of, of Ecuador and mountains you know, every time around me. So my childhood was pretty much like in, in nature paradise. <laughs> and so I think that uh, early on, I, I understood and I valued the importance of our natural ecosystems and environments. And then I found out by watching Al Gore's movie, Inconvenient Truth, that those environments were at risk, right? And that the animals, right? Penguins are my favorite animal, that their lives were at risk, their existence were at risk. So I, I always go back to when I'm, when I'm stressed or frustrated or, you know, I'm having a tough day because being an entrepreneur, it's not easy. Um, I always go back to the reason why I'm doing this, right? And I'm doing this not, not because... I wanted to become a social entrepreneur and I didn't even know that entrepreneurship existed, <laughs> um, but I'm doing this because I want to make a difference in, in, the, in the world, in their natural habitat of, of other animals, of, of people. I want to give back. I want to you know, support something that's bigger than myself. So um, what grants me always is watching documentaries, right? And, and just being educated and seeing and feeling and, and learning about 
um, our natural environments and seeing what's you know what's going on with them and just being being woke right to the reality of situation. And I feel like many people um, don't watch documentaries or don't read or or are, are afraid or, or they're you know too stressed to handle it all. Um, but I think it's important to just remind yourself of why um, our environment is so important to all of us. Yeah, that's beautiful. How do you, you know, in these times we're in, how do you draw the line to of, of trust? Like, how does trust happen for you? And how do you trust information? Or how do you go about it in this like very, um, you know, some people might call it confusing the way the media is set up. I do. I do believe that there is so much noise and so much misinformation out there that I just look at the at the source of everything, right? I look at the hard research. I look at the I, the scientists that have come up with this research, right? So it's it's tough because as a consumer, you can't you can't only read a headline anymore from a specific source and believe it. You have to dig. You have to do your own homework um, and see where that's coming from, right? Even in in speeches that I give, I'm not just regurgitating facts that I've heard or being used widely without really understanding where did these facts come from? And, and then you see people pick them up and then you figure out, you have to figure out like where, what was the origin of that fact, right? And um, have there been peer studies around the fact, especially when it comes to science, right? And science such a uh, black and white <laughs> type of fact finding mission that you have to do. Um, but I do think it's important that people take some time and do their homework before just sharing something or believing something that isn't real. Yeah, absolutely. It's being media literate is an interesting chapter of maturing as a human. And, and I kind of wish we you know, taught that to children. Um, in fact, one of the Global Shapers projects I did um, a few years ago was to uh, create a curriculum for media literacy for schools. Uh, just to remember that we did this like a few times. Very interesting because at, at, at times you're like talking about mediums of communication that the children, you know, even though I was, I was in my 20s, would have different channels of communication that you don't even know about that aren't the regular Facebooks or Instagrams or Snapchats. But anyway, so being media literate takes a lot. Um, I, I appreciate your, your opinion there. And now I wanna know from you about schools and education. Like if you could reinvent Daniela, the, the education system at large, right? With, with a team of experts or by yourself, like what would you, what would you change? What, what, what are the first things that come to mind? So one thing I would absolutely make sure we have is just basic ocean literacy education. Um, to give you an example, when, when you think about where oxygen comes from, 99% of people will tell you it comes from trees. And the reality is that 50% or every breath, you, every second breath you take actually comes from the ocean, right? So no matter where you live, even if you don't live near the ocean or in a coastal area, if you're landlocked, the ocean is still supplying 50% of your oxygen levels, right? So it still is a humongous part of your day-to-day -day survival that most people don't know. Um, another fact is that the ocean feeds 3.2 billion people in the world. And if we are out of fish, um, that means we're gonna have mass starvation happening. So, you know, I share these two facts because there are some of the most basic facts that I believe everyone should know, just as we all know that, you know, trees supply oxygen that a lot of, a, a lot of the majority of educational systems don't provide. So that would be one thing. And then the second thing I would do is provide curriculum around um, conscious leadership and, and being an entrepreneur and just being more, more um, 
soft skills focus that you don't learn in school, right? Um, you, you don't learn how to uh, raise funding or how to do public speaking or how to uh, build a campaign. And I think that the fact that you have to go out of your way, even outside of a university or school to learn those skills prevents a lot of people from getting them early on and doesn't allow them to build that self-esteem or that confidence they need to be leaders in their own right. Um, so those are the two things I would do. Yeah, that's a fantastic place to start. Um, leadership development in general, I think is, is something ongoingly that um, it also changes, like what is required from a leader in the 21st century, you know, um, hopefully, I'm, I'm going to just be super optimistic in my language here, post an equality revolution, right, where we're truly equal as human beings with each other. It's very different than what was required from a leader, let's say even 50 years ago, right? So how do you maybe personally continuously develop your leadership skills? Like, is there any specific program you remember that was awesome or some kind of modality or game that you've played where you're like, wow, I got to share this. But do, do you go to these kind of, you know, through these cycles of deeper practice, deeper devotion, um, yeah, personal development skills? I absolutely do. And, and, and mainly it's a very situational base, right? Especially um, being the, the CEO and a manager in an organization, you know, I have a team now. Um, and it's something that, again, you, you're never taught how to be a CEO. You're never taught how to manage people, how to deal with conflict in the workspace, especially when you're the one that has to make the hard decisions. So I found that a lot of my personal leadership training has come from situations where I needed to figure out what do I do, right? And not even what do I do in a practical sense, but how do my, how will my values align with my actions? And I think that's the core that everyone needs to figure out. It's know yourself, practice self-awareness, understand what values you want to live by. It, it may not be the easiest decision to make, but it's something that you have to live with if you're going to live by your values, right? So I've done a lot of personal development um, through self-learning, self-education, you know, reading, finding books, doing some research, doing some meditations and reflections. I haven't necessarily taken any courses per se, um, but I have gone into cycles of, you know, for example, if, if I'm trying to practice to be more patient, right, and be um, more, uh, more open to ideas from my team, I, I look into research as, or, or books that will make me a better leader in that capacity, right? Or from looking, um, you know, to to be more more stoic, right? I, I've I've recently uh, been reading a lot of stoicism and the philosophy, and reading, you know, from the great philosophers about how do you practice control, how do you practice, um, you know, living in the moment. So, you know, it definitely ranges over time um, and very situational. But I, I would recommend that people start on that journey early on. And one thing I say to to entrepreneurs and founders is they come to me asking. Like, what is the first thing I need to do before starting a company? And then they're expecting for me to say the, the traditional, you know, uh, put a business plan together, put a fundraising plan together. And they're shocked when I say to them, work on your self-development and, and tell me what your values are and how are you going to reflect those values in your company? And people don't think about that early on. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I'm in absolute agreement with you that that's front and center. I, I, I think values and following through with them is like number one intercultural skill that humanity has to develop as nations or as neighbors, right? Um, 
uh, in, in through governance one day as well. So like, absolutely, that's that's a core skill to become an entrepreneur these days or a philanthropist or a regenerative leader or, or a pioneer. Um, Daniela, that's that's great. I have I have two more questions for you. And um, first, I would love to hear, you know, having traveled, being from Ecuador, um, <laughs> having so many different ocean projects that you're aware of, what are maybe two or even three favorite places on planet Earth that you have? Wow. So the first one, I am biased because I'm from Ecuador, but I have to say the Galapagos. It would be number one. Um, and the reason why, it's because when you go to the Galapagos, you travel to a prehistoric era where humans aren't the, the main inhabitants, right? You feel like you're actually a visitor of, you're, you're visiting another species world. And, and to me, that's so rare because we have taken over so much of our planet Earth that it's hard to find those pristine areas where animals actually rule and not people. Um, so that, that would be my number one. Um, number two, I would say, I would say um, Bali in Indonesia. And, and, and that one I choose because there's so much beauty in Bali. There's so much beauty in their beaches or in, in their, you know, small islands that I think everyone should experience. And, and there's also a lot of this destruction. There's a lot of garbage. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of pollution going on. So I think it's, important for people to see what has happened, the change that has occurred from having this amazing, uh, you know, place that everyone loved to visit and, and, and experience a clear, pristine waters and the biodiversity and, and marine life, and then seeing now how it is. And, and it's truly heartbreaking, but I think it's important for people to see that, that change. And then the last place I'll mention is Belize. Um, I've also had a chance to do some scuba diving and uh, snorkeling in Belize. And one of my experiences was I was swimming in, in Belize and I was, you know, near some coral reefs and near some like very um, uh, drop, like, uh, like a canyon drop off point. And I was swimming with a school of fish and uh, it felt as if they had adopted me. It felt as if they had made me part of, of their, of their species and they were taking me oh. around, giving me a tour <laughs> of the coral reefs area. So that was an unreal experience to just see so much wildlife so many you know marine animals and um you know i swam with, with sharks and manta rays with these beautiful fish that um i think everyone needs to sometimes experience to value the ocean a little bit more what wonderful places and um of course they're all connected to the ocean yeah thank you for that that little tour i always enjoy uh, you know hearing the gratitude and the excitement that people have for places around planet earth really our blue planet, our home planet. And so the last question I have is a little bit more on the on the visionary spectrum. And my my pursuit since the beginning of this podcast was to track and kind of, you know, keep keep an awareness about people's visions for this planet and see what's in people's you know minds and hearts when it comes to a, you know, what are we even doing on this on this planet? You know, why are we here? What are we doing here as a as an entire species? And so if you were to zoom out with me into seven generations, um, going forward, what's your dream for our home planet, for planet Earth, taking into account that, you know, we are the ancestors of the future? I would say that for me, the vision I have now is to, is to restore the health of our ocean in our lifetime, right? Um, and, and that even, even saying that it's, it's a pretty ambitious vision to have, but I think we don't have an alternative. 
if we can't restore the health of our ocean in our lifetime, future generations will be will be doomed. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like, you know, a very uh, doom and gloom, but it's it's a reality, right? We were a very uh, at a tipping point where we need to do something now. Um, and I guess the other aspect of this is also living in harmony with our environment, right? Like it, it comes as simple as that. Let's let's build new uh, businesses, new enterprises. Let's let's build things that will be in harmony for the planet, so that we don't have to harm it. And I think if everyone was in line with that vision, everyone practiced, um, changed their habits, uh, changed the way that they you know they bank, changed the way that they travel in line with those two values, you know, um, I think our world would be a, a better place very, very soon. Yeah, that's beautiful. Coming into harmony with the planet, with the ecosystem, with our, you know, carbon cycle, with the ocean's balance, with everything that really makes nature go round and round or us go around the sun, right? Um, and the sun around the black hole. So, so thank you so much for, for that vision. I, I really appreciate it. And I really uh, love that you took the time, Daniela. Uh, if there's any project or initiative you would love to, to you know, point your finger at or say, say a few words that you know, people can find to either be in touch with you or be in touch with the Sustainable Ocean Alliance, um, yeah, let, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're always looking for entrepreneurs to be part of our future accelerator programs. We're also always looking for just like people that want to be part of this ocean ecosystem. Um, we take mentors and we also take a young leader. So if you're a young person that wants to start an ocean project, definitely get a hold of us. Um, you can find us at um, Instagram at SO Alliance or just SOAlliance.org. And you can personally find me. I'm always answering people's DM questions on Instagram. At, at DV Fernandez. So that would be the best way to reach us. Awesome. I'll make sure to link that out as well in the show notes and make it make it trackable for people. Thank you so much, Daniela. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you, Julian. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Bye.